Hello, welcome to Feed, Play, Love, the bite-sized podcast for parents. I'm Siobhan Hunt. This is a show all about parenting. I speak to experts and carers about everything from fussy eating, toddler behavior, sleep, and more. Toddlers are the world's busiest people. They have loads of energy and require constant surveillance, which is why many parents, particularly during lockdown, may rely or may have relied on a certain amount of screen time to survive. But what kind of screen time is your toddler getting? And is it all bad? Jocelyn Brewer is a psychologist who has created what she calls digital nutrition. And she's got a digital nutrition guide. She's going to give us some insight into how it can work for toddlers. Hi, Jocelyn. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thank you. So not very long ago, parents were told that any screen time for toddlers is bad. Has that idea changed? Yes, it has. Um, I Even in the course of my four-and-a-half-year-old's life, it's changed a little bit. Um, basically, we are moving away from a real focus on just the time online to thinking much more about the quality of the content and the activities that we're doing. So while the American Academy of Pediatrics still indicates that really we want to um, be very conscious of the screen time very little ones are having. We recognise that things like video calls are incredibly helpful, especially in the last couple of years, with keeping connected. And these are skills of the future. So we, we really sort of want to um, be careful with how we can introduce kids to that sort of put their toe in the digital waters, so to speak. And is that why you kind of refer to it as nutrition? Because when I think about nutrition, I think about there being a balance, like there's good stuff and you can have a little bit of the bad stuff maybe. I mean, what does that kind of balance look like for toddlers? Yeah, it's a really great question and and absolutely it's about a balance and it's about knowing that there are some activities which are going to be more, um, I guess, good for you and that, that they contain knowledge and information that's powerful and then there's other things that are a bit more like a treat. Uh, so we don't necessarily stick our kids in front of their food and say, okay, you've got 15 minutes of food time. We look at <laughs> what's actually on their plate. And um, it, similarly, uh, even when you think about the different types of devices or screens that little ones can look at, my kid, for instance, looks at a lot of television on a massive thing on the wall while she's roaming around acting out a lot of stuff and, and colouring in and doing all those things. That's very different to the context of maybe sitting in a pram in the shopping centre on a device five centimetres from your face. So I guess it's really about appraising some of those different ways that we use technology and the context and then the content as well to think about some of the impacts and to think about the habits that are being formed because we get used to um, having that highly sensory information coming into our eyeballs. Often kids don't really make sense of a lot of that too. So, you know, the 18-month-old kids watching lots of Peppa Pig, they're not necessarily consuming it or, or processing it um, you know, to a high level. So thinking about that idea of the difference between a television and an iPad, mm-hmm. for example, um, would it be fair to say, I mean, I'm thinking about what's easiest for parents is that um, devices like iPads and iPhones are often the easiest to give to a child when you need them to chill, particularly when we're talking about toddlers. Mm-hmm. And the example of the shopping centre is interesting as well because I don't know how anyone gets any shopping done with a toddler without a device (laughs) Um, apart from, you know, leaving them at home with someone Mm. else. Um, So 
are those the ones that are, I guess, the most challenging to think of because they are so easily accessible? That's right. I think the ubiquity and the obviously the mobility of devices is what makes us think, oh, well, we'll have that along and then I'll be able to get the shopping done without you nagging me for a kinder surprise or whatever. Um, what my suggestion would be to that, I guess, is that we really need to engage kids in their environment around them and those conversations, the tricky conversations around, well, no, we're going to go to the shops and we're not going to get anything but what's on the list. Like, imagine that. Um, so, <laughs> you know, I, th- I think when we're placating kids often and we're often placating ourselves, we're missing opportunities to actually teach some of these soft skills or social emotional learning and regulation. That is the number one thing that parents really come to me in my clinic and and to see me as a psychologist, usually with teenagers, because they're failing to self-regulate and they're failing to have self-control. And these are skills which I guess we have to start with really early. And my recommendation and the experiments that I do with my kid is that, yeah, I lug around, still lug around a bag full of activities, you know, the colouring books and the puzzles and all of that stuff because she has to work her way through those things before I'll resort to another episode of Bluey or Kangaroo Beach or whatever it might be in order <laughs> to get through, you know, the last bit of, you know, having a coffee or being in a cafe. Kids are not designed to be in cafes and kids are also not designed to be on technology for long periods of time. So I guess there's probably something that culturally, socio, socio-culturally, we, we maybe need to rethink about where kids fit into our lives versus us fitting into the neuro, neurobiology of, of little ones. So with those activities and the devices, what comes to mind for me is that we're living in a time when boredom is Mm. really not a thing for anyone. So I'm terrible at being bored. It's like my biggest fear. But if I reflect on how I live my life, there aren't many times when I let myself be bored. Um, Do you think that when we talk about letting kids be bored, part of the problem is that no one is really bored anymore. Yeah, and I think boredom gets a really bad rap. Like no one wants to be bored, but would you like some downtime? Would yes. you like exactly right? <laughs> would you would you like some quiet time? Would you like a bit of space? And I think that maybe we tell ourselves a story that boredom is bad. Um mm-hmm. and and actually then there's the people who go, "Oh, boredom's so great for creativity." And it's like, "Well, yeah, it's also great for juvenile delinquency because when you <laughs> when you're bored, you get up to mischief, and that mischief is then what gets people into trouble." So I think we have to be careful about how we frame it. If we say we need to learn sometimes to deal with less sensory input and kind of have some downtime and calm time and create space for what um, Jenny Odell would call doing nothing, God forbid, um, (laughs) then that really changes the narrative around boredom. And I think we as parents have a narrative about how busy we are and then how much we we kind of want that downtime. And and boredom is the wrong word to use here. I think we've got lots of other words in our vocabulary, Larry, that we can use instead. So when we're thinking about content. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're talking about devices and, and the ease of giving your child a device. But if we go back to that idea about nutrition and that not all content, let's say, yep. is created equal, mm-hmm. do you have a sense of the right kind of content for toddlers? Like what 
should parents be looking out for? Yeah, we've got this incredible thing called a rating system. Um, and that is probably the best guide to begin with. So, you know, G-rated content, already the classification board has done some work for us to indicate what kind of, you know, themes and information is in that. PG, obviously, you probably want to sit with your kid, especially when we're talking toddlers, like I'm talking 18 months to three and a half, let's say. They really mm. do need some supervision or, or people, you know, just to be around to kind of keep an eye out for when the, you know, baddie comes along and all those general narratives that we see in, in online content. Um, if we're, we're talking about watching TV shows, then being with a game, uh, again, I think it's really important that people are sitting side by side with little ones to help demonstrate to them how to do particular skills. So they're not just kind of getting to the point where they're banging on a screen, that we, we need to be a little bit more nuanced with some of that. Um, and that, from really early on, we start talking about time limits, even though that's not the be all and end all, but we might say 15 minutes, five minutes more. We might use visual cues like big egg timers so that kids actually start understanding that. And that's key to that regulation kind of experience. Um, yeah. And, and in terms of TV, I guess it, it's really about, I, I encourage people just to stick with things that are on streaming services because that content has been appraised as opposed to, oh, it's on the kids section of YouTube. YouTube hasn't watched every minute of information or, you know, videos that's been been uploaded there and there is sort of some space for nefarious things getting into, into the kids section there. Um, so how do you feel about educational content? So there are a number of apps that have been designed with toddlers mm -hmm. in mind. You know, there's really great little um, gross motor skills ones you can get for the iPad and then there's ones that you can get for um, learning mm -hmm. letters and phonics, that kind of thing. And then, of course, you've got what I did when my kids were small and I just felt like as long as they were watching ABC for kids, we were fine. <laughs> yeah, that's a good strategy. Uh, so does, is, is there something in that? Um, yeah, look, absolutely. The, the educational apps um, and there's, there's lots of in, in the UK, I think there's uh, design principles and, and sort of safety principles that you can have your app registered with um, so that you know that it's been designed with young people and safety in mind um, and, and just the values conversation, I guess. So, you know, a, you know, a two-year-old probably doesn't need to learn phonics just yet, but colour <laughs> color matching, for instance, and some of those, um, you know, block design and some of those kinds of things can be really useful. Again, it's about the person, you know, as parents, we need to know what's involved in those apps. We need to have done the block design and played with it to understand like how it works. Otherwise, you just do get kids like smacking on screens. While yes, they're like digital natives and they're intuitive with that, that oversight and that kind of, um, you know, really having the, the training wheels on and demonstrating that to them is really, really helpful, um, including with our own habits around our phones. Like how often does your kid look up and actually see you on your phone um, and what how that role modelling then sets up the expectation around habits and what's okay in your family? I want to ask you about parental habits in a minute, mm -hmm. but um, going back to your guidelines so your digital nutrition guidelines mm -hmm. do they change with age so yes. you know when I was a, a kid we got to stay up later the older we got mm -hmm. that was a bit of a reward yeah. is it similar with children and 
how they engage with technology? Absolutely, because one of the things that we're trying to do is create independent humans who can self-regulate. So it's kind of like getting your driver's license or learning to ride a bike. You sort of scaffold the way you participate in those spaces and as people demonstrate that they developmentally can um, show you some skills like trust or like self-regulation or like making good choices, then some of those, um, I guess, guidelines or structures or restrictions fall away. So it goes from sort of being monitored to being mentored and that the role of the parent absolutely changes. So we don't want 16-year-olds that necessarily their parents are reading every message that they're getting. You want to be able to kind of take some of the, the scaffolding away and let them kind of drive the digital machine for themselves, but always know that they can come back to us with some of those, you know, icky things that might be happening online to get some help without the fear of I'm just going to ban the device, which is usually the number one reason a kid doesn't come and tell their parents about something that's happening online is they don't want to have their their devices banned because of that. It's so interesting because only this weekend I was at a kid's birthday party and the parents were having the conversation about Instagram. Mm -hmm. And I think many parents with young children are terrified about what is likely to happen as their child starts to engage more Mm -hmm. online, especially with things like social media. And um, it brought to mind for me something that experts, when it comes to um, child abuse, Mm -hmm. what they suggest is that you empower your child to be able to recognise when a situation is not is, is dangerous mm-hmm. and can use the right language and then come and tell you all of those things, like you empower them first as well as being as vigilant as you can. But, you know, that is one of the best things you can do. Is that the same with the digital future our children face? Because I, I find that sometimes it feels really overwhelming to try and be across all the permutations of technology and what's likely to happen as they get older. I mean, how much of this is about empowering our children to be independent online? Yeah, it's a really complex question because to be independent online, we have to have a sense of what they're stepping into. And often Mm. I had this conversation last night that um, often it's parents retrospectively saying, oh, I should learn TikTok because my 12-year-old is on it. And it should be, how can we learn this together and come up with guidelines and agreements on how to use it effectively and safely and have conversations about, you know, complex things like the algorithm, which really, you know, it doesn't have to be complex. You don't have to be an IT expert to understand that it's a way to sell you ads. It's a way to get in front of your eyeballs, get your attention and and sell you stuff. So if you can break that down, and this is me as an ex, you know, commerce teacher, um, a lot of what I taught, you know, 10, 15 years ago is very, very similar to some of the, the digital literacy and media literacy information kind of ideas that that we need to have. And this can start with, I I mean, I have this with my five-year-old who is obsessed with a YouTube channel, which is just unpacking toys and they're all plastic. And so we will combine our um, love of the teeny tiny Stevies and the song about plastic, It's Not Fantastic, to say, well, look at this. Like, yes, it's fun to unpack, but that piece of plastic is going to last a thousand years. So Mm. through conversation, we forget, you know, the most complex piece of technology on the planet is in our skulls. And when we actually have conversations, we really sort of, this is how we do the scaffolding. This is how we kind of learn together. And while it can be shoulder to shoulder, um, not necessarily with your toddler, but certainly by the 
time you've got a kid who who's in um, high school, these are like shoulder to shoulder learning experiences where parents can be curious, not furious about understanding that digital space and empower their kids to even, yes, show me something about it. But then I'm going to put my adult brain on and go, okay, well, what are the risks with this? So so it's a real um, kind of collaborative approach to understanding it. Because when we're scared, right, as parents, we're like freaking out all the time. We're going to stuff up, right? That's like what I've learned in the last four and a half years is how can I not stuff my child up and what am I missing? But when I'm curious and I'm like, okay, let's do this together and and I'm not in fear and shame, then I'm going to be more successful. And I think a lot of the kind of conversations about kids and screens is freak out material. And yes, there is some evidence, though weak, about some, you know, not so great correlations between mental health and social media use. Actually, the evidence that we're we're using here is pretty crappy. So even all the stuff that came out from Facebook, the methodology was rubbish. I wouldn't, you know, get it through my master's course if I was trying to use that data. So, you know, even understanding things like that, very nerdy, can really help us step back from that really kind of scary feeling that that parents have where they go into like freeze mode and do nothing rather than doing something really positively. Yeah, that's so true. So coming back to us as parents and our own digital consumption, what is your advice for us um, when we're thinking about you know, our toddlers and how they're going to learn and grow in in this environment of using technology and being online and social media, et cetera. Look, I think that the biggest thing that we can do is take a step back and remember that each time we pick up a phone around a young person, it's kind of like um, it's an interrupter. It it disrupts the conversation that we might be having with the little ones. So, um, you know, language acquisition in the toddler years is something that's very, very important. How does that happen? It happens with serve and return. We talk to them. We might use baby language. We might use, you know, all of those different devices to try and communicate. But what we're trying to do is get that two-way conversation happening. If that conversation is interrupted because you pick up your phone, then that is signaling to a kid that maybe that phone is more important and disrupts that language acquisition. And there is evidence that shows that when parents are interrupted, the the recall of language and things like that is is not as good with those kids. It's also, um, I guess, shown if you've ever seen the the still face experiment where a parent will actually just stop responding to the kid. The kid goes into big distress and has to work really hard to get the attention of the parent. And often when we talk about getting a a kid being attention seeking, it's not attention seeking, it's attachment seeking. They're actually seeking homeostasis. They're seeking to know that their environment is safe for them and they do that mm. through the connection with their parents. So if they have to work harder because you're distracted on your phone or you're trying to, you know, um, reply to a work email because something's gone wrong or you're trying to, you know, all the myriad of adult things we're doing on our phone, let's face it, it's not just, you know, scrolling Instagram for Balinese holidays. Um, <laughs> so maybe it is <laughs> for me right now. Um, you know, kids don't know what we're doing. So I have a habit where I will, if I'm going to my phone, I'm like, okay, I'm going to check the weather. What is the weather? Because if I pick up my phone and there's five notifications, I know my brain's going to be enticed by those and I'm going to go and look at those um, and not check the weather. So if we narrate our parenting, and again, never too young to um, sort of talk to your kids, even in like, you know, adult language, um, to say, okay, I'm going to go and do this. I'm doing that now. This is what we're doing. And having that kind of almost 
put your inner voice on on loudspeaker so that young people are and little ones especially are hearing language and then they're practicing language so even if it's something like that can be really really useful to narrate what you're doing with your phone so Many of us, as I mentioned at the top of this interview, um, have relied on technology to help us through the tough days of lockdown. And considering that toddlers um, learn by behaviour and repetition, Mm -hmm. um, have you got any advice on how parents might ease back into a more balanced consumption of technology if they have been overly reliant on their devices during lockdown it's as simple as stepping out your front door often especially I guess in Australia we're heading into summer and much warmer weather so being able to make a bit of a plan for your day I think the routine and the rhythms of our day now especially we're out of lockdown for you know most of Australia hopefully we're not going back there um you know we can take a bit more control I have a big piece of paper on my wall that says things we were going to do after lockdown and we're slowly working through all of those activities so Again, just being kind of picking up your local newspaper, being in the local, you know, online mother's group and those sorts of things so you know what what the alternatives are and you're out and about um, exploring, moving and doing things that maybe are Instagrammable and you can come back and, and create that online diary of those fun things. But it's not the foundation. Getting our sleep routines back in order I think is really important, followed by movement because they're the two things that get displaced by screen-based media use first. Yeah. Jocelyn, it has been such fun talking to you Thank about you. what is normally a very scary topic. Yes. So thanks, <laughs> thanks for all of that advice. Pleasure. I'm happy to be the, uh, you know, the alternative voice. We don't need to be fearful and ashamed of how we're using devices. We've just got to switch our brains on and do it a little bit better. Yeah. Jocelyn, thanks for your time. Thank you. That's Jocelyn Brewer. She's a psychologist with an expertise in the healthy use of technology. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. I'd love to hear from you, so if you'd like to get in touch, email me at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.